want everybody just to remain standing in honor of reading scripture and in honor of our God. Once you close your eyes, the picture as you breathe in and you breathe out, it's God's breath in our lungs. And he wants to receive glory for himself and he helps us and he fills us with his spirit to be able to breathe out praise to him. That's powerful. That's a God that can be jealous for us because he is perfect and he is holy and he loves us in the midst of who we are. So with your eyes closed, just listen to scripture and let it impact you. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's pray. God, we understand this morning and we know that every breath that you put in our lungs is from you. Everything that we have is from you. God, the clothes that are on our back, the houses that we have, the cars that we have, the people in our lives, God, our family members, they are all from you. God, the gifts that you have given us, natural and spiritual, are from you. Father, you, uh, Jesus didn't just die so that we could go to heaven. He died for so much more. And um, Father, I pray that we would rest in that this morning. I pray that we would rest in your presence, knowing that you love us no matter what. In spite of all our junk, it sits in front of us on a daily basis. You love us. God, fill this place power of your spirit to change lives through your word this morning. Father, I pray that through my, my jumbled words that you would translate into people's minds and hearts what scripture says and what is true to change lives, God. 
that we would leave this week changed people. Understanding the change that Christ has performed and accomplished on the cross for us. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you sit down, uh, this is what I want you to do. We're going to greet each other, but in <clears throat> all throughout history in the church, this thing that we do at the beginning, whether it's uh, Tim's holy hug or uh, the shake, the handshake, or the man hug, you know, um, or whatever it is, that in the history of the church has been called, okay, we don't call it that, this, that often, but we're calling it this morning, the passing of the peace, okay? Being able to go up to somebody, look them in the faith, face, and say, peace to you, brother, or peace to you, sister, okay? So that's what we're going to do. That's what I want you to say to each other. It sounds like you're uh, oh, really, um, I forgot to be delicate how I say this. It sounds like uh, that's a very old thing to do. But it's not because this morning we want to pass peace to each other and we need to be able to look each other in the face to do that. So go ahead, shake somebody's hand, give them a hug, however you want to do that. But say peace to you, brother, peace to you, sister. Peace to you, my brother. All right, you got 10 seconds. I like that. I like being able to command a room of people because I can't always do that at home. <laughs> Doesn't always work. Everybody just don't judge me for that, okay? Um, anyway, this morning, obviously, we're set up a little different, and that's for a purpose. We're going to talk all about unity um, this morning. And unity in the church, community as we call it, community in the church is different from anywhere else precisely for the reason that we're set up here this morning. Because as you look at people, okay, it is so hard sometimes to be in a conversation and to look at someone in the face the whole time, okay? But what we want to see this morning is that as you look across to other people, as we look all the way across there and see those people over there, and you're looking at people that are sitting in the same church as you, that are part of the same community of Christ it is only effective the way that Jesus wanted it to be if we look at people through the lens of the cross. It's only effective if we can look at other people and be able to first understand our own identity in Christ and to understand their identity in Christ as we live in community with each other. So as I'm speaking this morning, you don't all have to twerk your heads to look at me. I want you to focus on the cross, on looking through it to other people, and that thought going through your head as we talk about this. But unity, two big things that uh, this passage, uh, that we're going to pull from this passage this morning in light of unity in the church. And let's, let's face it, there is nothing that I am more afraid of than being honest with my life with people that I am in community with. I'm serious. There's nothing that I'm more afraid of than being honest with my life, especially when it's my junk. Especially it's when my junk. I feel like I want, to, I want to live my life in such a way that, oh man, I've got like two weeks to fix that in my life before I have to go to my accountability group and tell those people this. Because I don't want to do that. 
I want to be able to fix it on my own. And so I've even prayed prayers sometimes. They're like, God, come on. Give me your spirit to be able to, to, to beat this struggle in my life because I don't want to tell anybody. I don't want my wife to find out. I don't want my bros to find out. I don't want that to happen because that's the truth of what I see when I look at myself often. Two big things that we're going to look at this morning is that first, everyone that is in Christ is gifted. Everyone on the planet is gifted in some way. Everyone on the planet has natural gifts. But every person who is a believer in Christ and has been made new in Christ has been given a gift. There's a difference between natural gifts and spiritual gifts. Like a couple weeks ago when uh, Megan shared her story and then Tyler played that song afterward, I guarantee you three quarters of the people in this room were like, dude, I knew you were good, but not that good. That was like, that, I, was, I was in fear of losing my job after that because it was like, dude, this brother, you can go back to Texas, dude, because you're going to take my job. But that's a natural gift, okay? Think of the natural gifts that are yours, all right? Nobody's laughing at that. Y'all need to loosen up. I know that it's like, this is awkward. Let's just on three laugh. One, two, three, go. <laughs> that was lame. Y'all. All right. Um, but I know from having spent time with Tyler uh, that he has spiritual gifts of leadership and of encouragement. Those are things that God gives spiritual power to so that he can influence the kingdom of God. I know for my wife, and she's going to kill me for saying this without running it by her, but it paints her in a good picture, so it won't be that bad. Um, she is naturally gifted at sports. She could wipe me on the, the, what's it, the field. Obviously, I'm not on the field when we play soccer. She's naturally gifted at sports. Um, that's not something that happened at salvation. She's always been good. Okay, even when she was a troublemaker in high school, she's always been good at, at uh, soccer. But she is a spiritually gifted leader and encourager and, and in discernment. Those are things that God has empowered in her life to be lived out in their kingdom. My buddy Simon, he is gifted with his hands. I mean, the man can fix anything you bring to him. He just fixed my, my Nissan truck that gave him issues upon issues, and I wouldn't even known where to start. He fixed my truck. He's gifted with his hands, but I know from spending time with him and seeing power from his life that he's gifted in selflessness and in helps, because those are things that God has given power to in his life, that without that Holy Spirit power in those things, it's hard to be selfless. It's hard to be helping people all the time, because you feel like you get nothing back, but God has given power to those things in his life. The big thing, number two, after we are all gifted in some way, is that you are never more safe. Get this. You are never more safe than when you are with somebody that is willing to tell you the truth about yourself. Okay? We are terrified of telling people what is inside of us, the thoughts that we think, the actions that we carry out throughout the week because we're afraid of judgment, we're afraid of whatever we're afraid of. But the person who is willing to tell you the truth about yourself, there's no one that loves you more. Because if they're willing to tell you the truth about yourself, they're probably willing to lay down their life for you. You are never more safe than with somebody who's willing to tell you the truth about yourself. And a sub-point to that, you are never more free 
than when you have nothing to hide. I guarantee you that on that week that Megan shared her story, there's no one that felt more free in the room than Megan. Because there was, there's, not, there's not a point anymore when somebody can come up to her and say, yeah, guess what I heard? She'd be like, I already told you. You're not more, fr- you're not more free than when you have nothing to hide, than when you're not afraid of something that someone could bring against you. That's what accountability is for. That's what community is for. But you'll never get over that fear unless you can look at people through the lens of the cross. Because unless you do, you will be afraid of telling other people because you'll be afraid of their judgment. But you will also judge other people's failures. You know what judgment is? Judgment is a lie. We're going to get to that more in a little bit. But I want to set more of a bottom line to refocus the lens before we jump head on into that scripture because if I have read Ephesians 4 so many times, anybody asks in Bible school, what's, where, where are you going to look for church unity? Ephesians 4. You go to Ephesians 4. I've read it so many times, but this time I read it through a different lens and I want to refocus that lens for you. Look at the, everybody look at the cross. So often, we live out our Christianity, and I'm standing here, and the cross is there, and there's my pile of junk. There's my pile of garbage at the bottom. That's my sin. It's not only my sin, it's my insecurities, it's my fear, it's my judgment, it's the lies that Satan feeds to me, it's all the things in my life that are not lining up with what I think I am supposed to be. So often Christians live their Christian life standing on one side of the cross with all their junk there, and Jesus is, we believe, that he has risen from the dead. I mean, there's not a lot of Christians in evangelical churches that are not going to say that Jesus hasn't, hasn't risen from the dead. But yet, he's risen and he's standing on the other side of the cross. And so in order to get to him, I somehow have to weave my way through all this junk, all this, this garbage. I have to go around it. I have to weave through it. I have to get rid of it and take care of it so that I can be standing over here with Jesus. But the reality is that when Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, he didn't rise on the other side of the cross. He rose on the side that I was standing on. And so when Jesus came down from the cross, he's standing right here next to me, and the pile's still there, right? Because I know, going through my everyday life, that that pile is not gone from my vision. I still see all the, the thoughts that I think, and I think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I thought that about Adam. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just want to loosen you up a little bit. <laughs> I, just, I love you. Um, but, you know, that pile is still there. It's not like I have the ability to forget everything I've ever done. God has the ability to look down at me and to see my heart clean and covered in the blood of Christ and to see me as redeemed, to see me as perfect. But I don't have that ability and won't have that ability until I get to heaven. But what I do need to see is that my junk is still there 
It's not around me and covering me and holding me down. It's at the base of the cross. I can still see it. I still want to deal with it. But Jesus isn't on the other side of it. He's standing right next to me, holding my hand and saying, I want an abundant life for you. So let's work on all this stuff together. And I hope, I can assume, that a lot of people in the room, I'm reading a book called The Cure, and I really recommend it. Look that up. Called The Cure, all about our identity in Christ. And there's been times when I've been reading that book this week when I have just, just about just broken down in tears because I'm thinking that is exactly how I've lived so much. Not just my life, my Christian life. We have been given a new identity. We're not just free. We're not just forgiven. We're not just guiltless. We're not just redeemed. But if we don't focus on the fact that we have all those things in Christ, then it's all kind of pointless. So we've got to look at our Christianity with Christ standing right next to me. The gospel is not that we have to do anything, but that God came down to our world, to set us free. There's three things that are true about every person in the world. I'm going to read Romans 1, 21 to 25 for you, so just listen to this. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. Three things that are True about every human being that has walked the planet. One, that we have preferred creation over the Creator. Two, that the way we live our life says, I'm smarter than God. God, I know how to fix this problem. God, I don't like your solution. I think I need to do this. I think I need to do this. I can't. So many times I do that on a daily basis. Number three, is that we failed to acknowledge God as the giver of all good things. The most liberating truth that I have, uh, that I've, that's come to me this week is that God tells you the truth. He tells me the truth about myself. Imagine if God told you, hey, you're doing fine. You're doing awesome. You're doing great. The way you're living your life, just keep going. You're doing great. You're doing awesome. To me, what would that say to me? Because I look at all my junk, and I think, what I'm doing is awesome, God? So you mean I still have to keep picking away at that? So I'm just going to keep going. But God, I'm tired. I'm tired. Okay, so I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep working at it. I'm going to keep looking at my sin and trying to get rid of it in my life. But the fact that God tells me, hey, you're messed up, and you can't do a thing about it. How liberating is that? I can't do a thing about it, and yet God sent his son to finish the job for me. 
accomplish the job. It is finished. Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's so fitting that Tim, was spoke, Tim spoke on last week, and I, I really, Tim, I don't know where he is, but I appreciate Tim's honesty and uh, with his prayer habits, because I, I just so much identified with so much of that. But I love that prayer, uh, because I think it's fitting in the spot that it is in, in the book of Ephesians. Because we've been talking all about how we should see ourselves in light of what God has made us. And then that prayer is Paul's prayer for them, reminding them essentially, this is all that you are. And it launches us into Ephesians 4, where it starts talking about, now this is what you should do. And so, from that passage, he reminds us that we derive our name from God. That we have His glorious riches that strengthen us in our soul. That Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. That we are rooted in love. We can understand the height, the depth, and the love of Christ. That we can know love that surpasses knowledge. That we can be filled with the fullness of God. His power is at work in us. And because of all that, He can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. I'll tell you one spot that he's done immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine is bringing us to this building. I mean, hey, no one, no one in this room could have imagined that God would have made that transaction happen so fast that I'm sure there's still some pain involved, but that God would graciously enough bring Cornerstone and Olivet together in such a short period of time, and now we are living in community with each other, that is the grace of God, and it's immeasurably more than I was praying for in that time. I mean, he blew us away. Is that not true? God wants us to live to bring him glory. And we're about to talk about a little bit of that. But if we cannot get into this passage, Ephesians 4, without truly understanding that our sin does not stand between us and God, that Jesus is holding our hand, and that he wants to work on it with us to give God glory, not to work our way to salvation. Let me say it again. There is nothing you can do you are powerless. There's nothing you can do. Understanding that helps us to live in community with each other so much better. So let's get into it. Verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4. The ESV version, I read, it, I read that out of the NIV, but the ESV version says, I therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Therefore, what? What's it there for? You're always taught in Bible school if there's a therefore, what's it there for? Well, what's it there for? Live a, wor- a life worthy of the calling you have received because of all the stuff I just prayed for you for. That whole list that I just named. This is who you are in Christ, and you cannot live a life worthy of me if you Do not live in your true identity in Christ. The calling 
that you have received. Everything that the book of Ephesians has stated so far defines that calling. So often in my life I've read this passage and it's been a go-do-better passage for me. But reading it in light of our identity in Christ and where we've been going with this, it's a go-live-in-relationship-with-me kind of passage for me now. Because in relationship with Him, I don't have to perform. I don't have to do all these things. He's calling me to a life worthy of the calling I have received. The calling I have received is a brand new identity, a brand new creation. Live as, in our terms, as we've defined them, as we've gone through this book, live as people who are blessed with peace in Christ. Live as a once were, without judgment. Live with love. Live as a prayer, trusting God, not performing for God, trusting God. Live as a new creation, without guilt, without striving, without trying to please God, because why? You, God could not be more pleased with you than he already is, because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. We were at DMC this week, and a kid asked, isn't it about becoming more like Jesus? And it's a good thing he asked Megan that question, because I was like, oh, crap. How's she going to answer this one? Because we're, all ta- we're talking so much about letting go and the fact that you don't have to do anything, that God has already done it for you. We're not necessarily talking about doing nothing. We're talking about the fact that the things you do and the reasons that you do them are completely different. Because if I am just becoming like Christ because I think that's the only way to get to him, or that's the only way to get to the Father, I have downgraded the cross beneath my own feet because I'm trying to accomplish what the cross has already accomplished. I am already like Jesus. I love that. I'm already like Jesus. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another, in love, all those things, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, humility, fruits of the Spirit, as you live out your life, it will be marked by the fact that you are living it in your identity in Christ, and it will result in the fruits of the Spirit being seen by people around you. Not trying harder. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to do that this morning Because too many of us in this room, including myself, have grown up in a Christianity that says do better, work harder. We've got to not think that way anymore. This this series has rocked my world. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Hey, here's the deal. This is not a passive command. It's not a passive command. Yes, the Bible says it's to your glory to overlook an offense, but all that means is that I forgive easily. I forgive easily. 
But too often, when we read that verse, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit of bond of peace, it means keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything to anybody about what's wrong with them. Don't say anything to anybody about what's wrong with you. Don't ask for forgiveness. Don't confront people because God forbid you could get in an argument in the church building. Right? We're so afraid. Why? Because what we hate about ourselves is what we hate about other people. We don't understand that we are once worse. We don't understand that my junk's still there. And God sees it anyway, and He's helping me with it. We understand that. It means that my motive for talking to other people about where they're failing, to going up to someone and asking forgiveness because I wronged them, hey, that's hard. I'm prideful. The one thing that causes me to go to bed angry is the fact that I know I messed up and I'm not going to admit it to my wife. Right? Hey, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong in this one. She'll get halfway through the night and she'll realize it. No! That's stupid. Okay? That's just dumb. (laughs) Don't worry. I I only did that once this week. All right? But my motive becomes different. Why? Do I ask forgiveness from people? Why do I point out things in people's lives that are wrong? Why? Because I love them. And God, through Jesus, has made me a part of this community with every single one of you. I cannot grow into the Christian that I want to be or the abundant life that God has for me in Christ without every single one of you. I can't do it. And most of you, not most of you, a few of you, I avoid. And I didn't just make contact, eye contact with those people. So I'll just make eye contact with all of you so you don't know who you are. But we avoid people. If I can see you through the cross, I'm not going to avoid you anymore. I'm not going to be afraid of the things that are in my life. Verses 4 to 6. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's a lot of different people in this room. Our whole church isn't here this morning, but I'm sure there's somebody that you could think of in this church that you just have absolutely zero in common with outside of church life, right? I can think of a lot of people. You may not, somebody may be into sports, you're not into sports. Somebody may be into knitting, you're not into knitting. Someone may be into watching sports, keeping all the, the, the stats, I'm not into that. Somebody may be in, into um, cooking, you're not into that. Somebody may be uh, a, um, a stay-at-home mom, you're a working mom. Somebody may be a stay-at-home dad, you're a working dad, whatever. You think, I don't have anything in common with these people. Well, let me tell you what you do have in common. One body, that's Christ's body. One spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is in all of us. So the insecurities that come 
from having nothing in common from a worldly perspective go out the window because now I can look at every single one of you through the cross and understand that I have everything that matters in common with you. So it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your personal preference are, is or preferences are. It means that I can approach you and be in accountable community with you because I see you as a once were. I see you as redeemed, completely taken care of, and I will not judge that. Verse 7 and 8. But to each one of you grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his training gave gifts to men. The gifts that you have been given, whether natural or spiritual, are because of God's grace. He didn't have to make you anything. But he's made you good at some stuff. And the gifts that he gave you at the moment of salvation, you may have no idea what they are. And that's okay. Let me just tell you something. We are here to help you with that. It's not, don't let it be a pride issue. I've been saved for 13 years and I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Who cares? Because we want to help you with that. I'm still growing into my own spiritual gifts. And I've been in in full-time ministry for eight years. And some of those years, I've realized, hey, you are not good at that. You shouldn't do it anymore. Or my wife, dude, don't do that anymore. Because you ain't good at it. Which makes me mad. But it's true. All right? It's not always good and easy to hear what you're good or not good at. But remember, it's all in community, with each other. And you have these things as the grace of God has been given you. So whatever gift you have, your spiritual gift, do not neglect it because you do not want to neglect the grace of God in your life. It shows up so many more ways than just the fact that he doesn't see your sin anymore. He hasn't just given you salvation. He's given you so much more. He's given you tools to live with in his kingdom here on earth. Verses 11 to 13. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? That we will never, ever, 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 ever stop growing into the measure of the fullness of Christ until God, until Jesus himself comes back. No one has arrived. No one is better at at Whatever they do, then anyone else is better at what they do. And you may think, you read that, you read that list of, of gifts that have been given. We'll go down to verse 16, and it says, From Christ the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, 
grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We've said this before, and it's part of our vision frame and our ministry values at Creekside is that every member of the church is a minister. It is not that if you don't have upfront gifts, if you can't play the guitar, if you're not a worship leader, if you're not a good speaker, that doesn't matter. God's given those gifts to some people. But us by ourselves up here is a pretty lame-looking church. If you went to the gym, which obviously I do frequently, but if you went to the gym and worked on only your left side, your left, you could knock me out cold with one punch, I'm sure. You could lift me, you could bench press me, you could do some damage with your left side. But I hit you on your right side, and you are a sad, sorry excuse for, for a fitness person. And you will look ridiculous. Alright? You have a massive left side of your body and a right side of your body. You just, just picture that. I mean, it causes a little laughter. Picture your wife or your husband like that. You laugh a little bit, okay? You look stupid. You look ridiculous. And that's what the church looks like when people are not using their gifts. We look ridiculous. We are left-sided. We are right-sided. We got big heads or big feet. Or massive biceps and small triceps, all right? You just look ridiculous when everybody is not involved using their gifts. This is not a guilt trip because why? We're in this together. We want to help each other. Go up to somebody that knows you well this week and say, hey, what do you think my spiritual gifts are? Do it. And if you think you might be good at something, come to me, come to one of the elders, go to one of the ministry heads and say, hey, I want to try this. And after a month, they might come to you and say, hey, this ain't your gift because you ain't good at it. Or you might do it for a month and after a while say, hey, I don't like doing this. Often, see, God is a practical God. He often pairs up our spiritual gifts with what we're already gifted with naturally. We just had to do, for the men's fraternity thing, we had to do um, a personality, uh, what is that, personality profile, personality test, all right? And I see that now the things that, my natural personality and, the, and my strengths or my weaknesses fit with where God has gifted me spiritually. They just fit. It's a good fit. But there's been times in my life where I've tried something and someone has either told me, hey, that ain't your spiritual gift, brother. You did not hit a home run on that one. And I have to, with humility and gentleness, and to make every effort to keep the peace, take that and say, that person told me that because they love me. Because they're part of the same community that I'm a part of. And what do we all want? We all want this community to be effective. Verse 13. It says, Until we all reach unity in the faith, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, that we will be doing this for the rest of eternity. 
verse 14. This is the result of a life lived in community. We talk so much about, and I say this to my wife all the time, I want to be someone who is not moved. I want to be a rock. I want to be someone who can trust God enough. Not perform for God enough. I'm going to say it again. Not perform for God enough, but trust God enough that when junk happens in my life or when hard things happen in my life, when tragedy happens in my life, or when somebody makes me mad, somebody doesn't agree with me, I can look at that and say, God, I trust you. I'm not going to be moved by this. Satan, I do not belong to you. So get behind Jesus. I can't say get behind me because Satan could kick my butt in a lot of situations. But I could say get behind Jesus, right? Because I don't belong to you. And what in essence I'm saying is I want verse 14 and on to be what is true about me. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and the teaching and of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, I'm going to stop there. Often, Satan not only lies to us, lies to us, lies to us, but he uses people in our lives to lie to us. So we have got to be in the, what did I say at the beginning? You are never more safe than with someone who is willing to tell you the truth about yourself. What I mean by that is you're never more safe than when you're in a community that is based on their identities in Christ. Because why? You'll be able to hold each other accountable. Your trust, your striving and trying and trying and trying that make you tired and worn out will change from striving to trusting. And then... When people have spoken the truth to you in love and you have been honest about your own failures and your faults and the things that you struggle with because you're not afraid that someone else is going to judge you. When that has happened, then we will not be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching things that are not biblical lies and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, instead of all that, instead of the negative result of that, there will be a positive result. You will be able to, what? Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We are redeemed. We are justified. We are forgiven. You ever heard the word sanctification? A buddy shared this thought with me that really made sanctification. It's a, it's a word that maybe not everybody knows, but sanctification is an ongoing process of the fact that you are justified, so you don't have to justify yourself, that you are forgiven. That you have been given grace. What does grace allow you to do? It allows you to fail and then get back up again and keep going. Sanctification is the process 
of living in and living out what God says you are. I am a husband to Heather, but I will ever be living in the sanctification of that role. Working into that role, being more of what God wants me to be in that role. But the fact is, I'm her husband, period. That won't change. When we think of community in the church, you are never, ever, ever. And before I close, I want to pray because this is, this is serious. So let's pray. God, I pray that you would just put the power of your spirit on people now to not walk away from this having just heard a message at church because we're going to hear this and we're still going to have a lot of fear in showing who we really are because oftentimes when we look at it, it's appalling to us. I pray, God, that truth the truth of who you have made people in you this morning would ring out. God, that there would not be judgment, that judgment is only the lie, that the plank in someone else's eye needs to be pulled out before they see my faults. God, please, please work in people's lives now. Amen. You see, often when we look at each other and someone, when they confront me, I often look at them and say, what? You see that big old log sticking out of your eye? How can you possibly see the tiny speck in mine? Right? Let me, let me go get a crowbar and help you get that stinking thing out of your eye so that, you know, because what do we do? Oh, brother, when you did that, you really hurt me. Yeah, well, when you, you know, you said this, it made me do that, right? We're so afraid of confronting each other. We're so afraid of forgiving ourselves. We're so afraid of being honest with, what we, with who we are. The only way to get the plank out of your eye or the speck out of your eye to be able to see the people that are in community with you is to put on those glasses of the cross of what Christ has already done for you. So the band's going to come back up. You guys can come back up. God wants us to. And Paul is even telling these people while he's in prison, hey, you, gotta, you all got to be living in honest, authentic community with each other. We need this. We need this. We need this. I cannot become that person through sanctification without any of you. You can't become it without me or the person sitting next to you because this is the community that God has put you in. Not only the people in this room, but the whole church itself. And being a part of that community, God has given us through His grace gifts to help us live better as a part of that community. So find out what they are. And you are never more safe than with truth tellers.
You're never more free than when you have nothing to hide. Community is best lived as we look through the cross. We're going to take some moments now. And the bread and the juice, the bread being Christ's body broken for us, represents his body broken for us. And the juice that comes around represents his blood shed for us. Why? Why did that happen? So that we could live not only with the hope of heaven, but in authentic Christianity, in our true identity in Christ. So the bread and the juice are going to be passed today because I just want you to be. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to walk up. You just have to be in the presence of God and see Jesus sitting right next to you, looking at your junk, but taken care of by the cross. That's how we live in real community. So let's worship together, and the offering's going to come around after communion. The second bag is for our our monthly uh, pledges for the building offering. Take these moments now and pray with somebody that you need to pray with. There is no shame. Part of being not ashamed of the gospel is to not be ashamed of what Christ has made you to. And so not to be ashamed of your faults and the things that are defining you now in life. So take these moments to be with God and confront these things in your life. But confront them with Jesus at your as we look to the cross, we would understand our failure is gone, our failure is lost. You have removed it from us as far as the east is from the west, God, that as we look at the people around us, we see them through the lens of the cross and forgiveness and justification. Father, just help us to live in authentic community, that you would grow this community because people can't resist your love, Um, God, that people cannot see their sin anymore because they see it through the cross and then it's taken care of and that Jesus will sanctify them through their life. So Father, this community here grow us, help us to be authentic. Father, in the light of the cross, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I really encourage you, if you if you need to talk to someone today, um, fortunately we need to move the chairs back uh, for the next service that's going to happen here so I can use some help doing that. But if you need to talk to someone and you need to be honest with someone or you need to be broken before the Lord because you want to be honest for maybe the first time, um, just find somebody. If you need to confront somebody and say, hey, I need forgiveness from you for this or you hurt me when you did this. And just look at each other through the cross and through that identity. So. May that happen this morning. May this continue. Um, God, we love you.